Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am. Uh, I'm recovering well, my friend. I'm uh, glad to be back home. It's a nice, cold, rainy morning here in the Rocky Mountain West, but a uh, beautiful one. We needed the rain, needed a little cool down, so I'm just kind of digging it. Feels like a a day to make some chili. Wow. Okay. In the summer, a little summer chilly. So are you one of these? Oh, it, it got down to like 58 last night. Wow. And it was 62 when I woke up this morning and it hasn't gotten a lot warmer. I'm looking outside here and it's, it's still, still raining, not hard. It's nice, steady, light rain, which is what we like here. Keeps the fire fires down. You know, I don't even think of that living in Alabama. It's not something I ever have to think about, but yeah, I guess that's a thing out there. It is, it's a big thing out here. Yeah. Uh, the last two years, there were so many forest fires, not necessarily right around where I live at all, but like in Idaho and Washington and that stuff just all blows this way. And there were, you know, days when there was not a cloud in the sky mm. and you, you couldn't see, you couldn't see anything from my deck. It was like fog. The, th- the smoke was so thick and that ruins it for tourism and people that spend their entire year planning to come out here and go to Yellowstone and see the mountains. And I mean, you're not seeing anything and you need, you know, an oxygen mask. <laughs> wow. Well, I, uh, I needed an oxygen mask after the last week. I I'm glad to be back on the show here. Uh, I, I've got it under my belt. Uh, it's in my rearview mirror. It's on my resume, all those cliches, but I greatly appreciate Shuley tagging in last week did something a little different last week, Eric, a different flavor to 83 weeks, but you like switching it up. What'd you think of your show with Shuley last week? I, I, I love doing things that are just different than anything else people are used or expect to see. Right. And sometimes you hit and sometimes you miss, but it's just fun to do. And Shuley was fun to do and a hit for me, you know, because the, essentially what we did in that podcast is just find the parallels between stand-up comedy and the business of stand-up comedy and professional wrestling. And there's a lot of parallels, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was a fun conversation. I forgot that I was doing a podcast. I just felt like I'm sitting on the couch, you know, chatting with my buddy. It was kind of fun. He's just such a, such a great guy. He's amazingly talented, but a cool guy. Without giving away too much. How fun was that Airbnb that those guys were in? You know, I didn't hang around too much because I knew too much. <laughs> I knew, <laughs> I, the, you know, too much is going to be you know a term I'm going to use a lot, but yeah, I didn't hang around too much because I knew too much. And, um, 
I was probably right. But I hope everybody had fun. It was, let me put it this way, a very fun group of people. Yeah. Well, Just, some of my, my closest friends. And uh, it's funny because once we sort of said, all right, so-and-so will be here and so-and-so will be there. Someone I said, doesn't Eric want to be in our Airbnb? I was like, maybe not that one. Uh, <laughs> they want to stop by, but I think he probably wants his own. I wound up in the family Airbnb. So I got mom and dad and the daughters and everybody in mine. And yeah, I was safe, I guess, but, uh, woo, I'm glad it's behind me. Hey, by the way, I want to give a quick plug the Shuli show on Apple podcasts or anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Shuli Agar, a longtime funny man from the Howard Stern show. Now become one of our very close personal friends moved here to Huntsville, Alabama a few years ago in the middle of the pandemic and never looked back. So, uh, if you want to know what Shuli's up to and enjoyed last week, by all means, please check out the Shuli show anywhere you enjoy podcasts, but sounds like a fun time to me, dude. Yeah, it was a blast. It, it, it really was. Well, today we're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to be talking about somebody that you and I both think a lot of, and uh, really you introduced him in, in a big way to wrestling fans, Steve Mongo McMichael, uh, one of the original hosts of Monday Nitro when it was originally launched, he played uh, college football for the university of Texas at Austin. He's an all American there. And then goes on to play for the Patriots, the bears and the Packers. He retired in 1994 and then. What do you know? Finds himself on Nitro a year later in 1995. Now, along the way, uh, he won Super Bowl 20 with the Bears in January of 86. And even though he played for the Patriots and he played for the Packers, I think everybody still sort of associates him with the Bears most of all, right, Eric? Oh, absolutely. And I first, you know, became aware of Steve McMichael uh, before I got in the wrestling business in the early 80s, of course, living in Minnesota. Uh, I've always been a Steelers fan first. Uh, and foremost, always will be. Um, but living in Minnesota, eventually I became somewhat of sort of a, I don't know, passive Minnesota Vikings fan. And as a Vikings fan, there's nothing better than either Vikings in Green Bay or Vikings in Chicago. Right. Those were always going to be the games that no one ever wanted to miss whether you could get a ticket or you're sitting at home. So, and, and Steve McMichael to me was a standout on that team. I love the interviews that he did back then. That's why I was so excited to eventually get a chance to talk to him. But, you know, you would hear, you know, a couple of his interviews, you know, post-game interviews back in the day. And he was like, he was the real deal. And I always loved those kind of characters like Lyle Alzado. You know, they, they just have larger, in Lyle's case, had a larger than life persona. Right. I mean, he was a badass on, on a football field. There's no question about that, but his persona was so much larger than just that. And that's what I thought of Steve McMichael. And although I was a Vikings fan, I just oh man, that that's one badass. So ironic. Why, you know, a couple of years later, <laughs> Hey, how'd you like to be an announcer? <laughs> So he actually has a quote here from 2019. He says for 13 years, I helped the bears beat the Packers every year. I whooped their ass. Right. So the last year I went up there on my last leg and I wasn't any good anymore. So I stole their money and whipped their ass again, buddy. If that's that not a pro wrestling promo, I just Steve Mongo McMichael's one of a kind dude. What a line. Oh, and he was so quick witted. And I mean, look, taking a guy. Is you know Steve was a wrestling fan. He, he wasn't a wrestling student, right? 
Um, but he was a fan and had been for a long, long time. But it's difficult to take a wrestling, somebody that's a fan of wrestling, just like it would be difficult to take somebody who's a fan of NASCAR right. and put him in that position, you know, of a color commentator. There's a lot, you, you know, you need to know in terms of calling action. And I mean, there's a lot you need to know. You can't just plop someone down just because they're a wrestling fan, plug them in and say, go. But I, Steve had such a big personality as we discussed, and he was so quick witted. He was really, I mean, even just talking to him, it would get to the point where you'd kind of wish he'd just shut it off. Cause after an hour or two of, you know, sitting around and laughing your ass off at Steve McMichael and his quick witted improv, uh, it's like, okay, just give me a rest, man. Just give me a rest. And that's one of the reasons why I wasn't too concerned with putting him in that spot because I knew time would take care of the lack of experience but there's nothing that you can do to make up for lack of charisma. And Steve had that in abundance. He's uh, probably one of the most prolific talkers in, in NFL history. He's named to the college football hall of fame. He's ranked one of the 100 greatest Chicago bears of all time, but Eric, his first dabble into the world of professional wrestling was not nitro. It was actually March of 95. He's uh, involved in the buildup. For Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow at WrestleMania 11. He's a part of Lawrence Taylor's all pro team. And he even did guest uh, color commentary alongside Vince McMahon for a match on Monday night raw. And then he wound up getting into a big scuffle with comma brawling around ringside. But then somehow he winds up on the WCW side of things. Did you see his handful of WWF appearances? Were you even aware of that? I wasn't in Derek Sabato, who does a great job, you know, providing research to both of us uh, for our shows. I, I, Derek sent me the notes for the show and I looked at that and I went, you're kidding me. Wow. I, I really didn't know. And, and I've been, I actually started trying to do my own research and, and trying to figure out how it was. Steve went from that experience in WWE, admittedly a couple months before I hired him how did he end up in WCW? And I know I'm, I'm, I'm taking your question here. I'm sorry about that, but sure. it's driving me crazy that I can't figure that out. Right. And no, I didn't know that he had, he had had any experience in WWE at all. So it, yeah, to me, it just makes it cooler. He's still doing a bunch of media appearances. Of course. I mean, he definitely thinks he has a, a future in that he gets into radio. Uh, did you hear any of his radio show? I did not. I did not. Uh, in fact, I, wasn't, I didn't even know he had a radio show back then. I think it actually wound up winning some awards. Um, either way, somehow you wind up having a meeting with him. Do you remember the circumstances by which that came to be? I sure do. It was, uh, it was the first one was in Orlando and while we were filming at uh, Disney and I, this is the part that's driving me crazy. It just irritates me that I can't remember this. Um, and maybe it'll come back to me. But whoever it was, I mean, I didn't reach out to Steve McMichael. Let's put it that way. Right. And I wasn't necessarily looking um, for a celebrity type third man in, in the booth. So somehow Steve McMichael got to us either through an agent or a friend or one of, you know, for all I know, it could have been Ric Flair. I don't know. Somebody, somebody connected us. And then we had our first meeting, uh, 
at the Yacht Club outside patio restaurant. Um, nice, nice place on the Disney MGM properties, but I, with he and Deborah. So that's what I remember. So you wind up, somebody reaches out to somebody. They wind up being in Orlando. You have this conversation with he and Deborah and in your mind's eye, did you go into that thinking, I'm just going to meet with these folks and see what's there. Or did you already have, Hey, I want to try to talk them into doing so-and-so does any of that even cross? I had no, I had no, because it came, you know, it wasn't like I was searching. I didn't have a character type or prototype, you know, uh, idea of what I was looking for. I, you know, I was looking for a lot of different things at the time, but however it was that Steve got to me was like, because I knew who he was and I knew he had a larger than life character. I wasn't sure if he was interested in becoming a wrestler or, or an announcer or a manager. I didn't know it was completely cold. So it was in that meeting and probably because my previous impressions of Steve that I was thinking, Oh, this guy's perfect. Right. I, I was not, you know, certainly not Jim Ross um, or Tony Schiavone, but I could call a match. I could get us through the mechanics of calling the action, doing all the other things that you have to do when you're a play-by-play person, promoting what's coming up. You kind of like the traffic cop up there. If you think of a, of a three-man booth, especially, um, you know, you're, you're kind of directing traffic and you're handing off and you're picking up and you're trying to control the tempo and the pace. If somebody's going a little long, you know, kind of know how and when to kind of ease in there and change direction. That's that, that I had, that part of it, I had down. Um, so I, we didn't need that. Bobby certainly could be the a color guy because he forgot more about being talented in that position than anybody that's ever been in it will ever know. Um, so I wasn't worried about Bobby. I just wanted some fresh personality up there. And I thought, Steve, I'm hoping that he doesn't want to wrestle. Cause I really wanted him in that seat. That's what we needed. I didn't really need more wrestling talent at the point at that point, but I really needed a bigger, larger than life personality that could fit into that threesome, so to speak. Uh, and Steve just fit that bill. Perfect. So, Perfect. I have some follow-up questions to that, to that. I want to ask about Deborah, but first I do want to understand when you're saying you wanted this larger than life personality. Now I'm not trying to get you to compare the two. Mm-hmm. I'm just in almost a Jesse Ventura type role. Oh, no doubt about it. Okay. Not all, not almost to me. That's exactly. Yeah. I don't know that I had that conscious thought. I very well could have because I see that similarity. Right. And I've, I've always been a fan of Jesse Ventura's color commentary. I think he was, he's not Bobby Heenan in terms, you know, he didn't achieve and attain that kind of iconic status as a color commentator. It's a different thing uh, as, as Bobby has, but nobody else will either, but he was very close, but yeah, similar kind of outrageous, you know, uh, call it as they see it, whether you like it or you, I mean, it's just kind of a, it's just the style. And there was a lot of similarity there between Jesse and, and Steve, including the fact that Jesse always had that ace in a hole, right? He, he's an ex wrestler, but he could still go, right? If he seals still go, you're only going to push a guy like Jesse Ventura so far as a talent in an, in a promo or a scene, you're only going to push that guy so far before, you know, he's going to push back, which makes a guy like Jesse very valuable because you all, then you have it in your inventory of shit to do 
right? If you're scratching and clawing and coming up with something fresh to do that you haven't done in a long time, hey, Steve McMichael can go. I'm going to put him in a 20 minute match, but hell yeah. And it's believable. It's not like, oh, this non wrestler coming right. in here and pushing a wrestler around. No, that's Steve McMichael, fucker mm-hmm. father, and he'll push anybody around that he's in the mood to push around. And no one can do anything about it. That's a great asset in a color commentator. You don't want to go to that well, you know, every other week. Right. It's just like having dry powder, man. Just keep a little dry powder behind the booth. Hey, so talk to me a little bit about Deborah. You know, we've heard these famous stories in wrestling where say Jim Cornette meets Chris Candido the first time and he loves his work, but he says, Hey man, uh, your girlfriend could be a big TV star too. And Vince sort of has the same experience when he's talking to Mark Merrow, the former Johnny B bad, like, Whoa, this is your wife. Well, we should do something with her. Now I'm not saying let's compare, you know, Deborah to those other folks, but Deborah certainly became a big television personality. She knew how to be hateable. She knew how to be a heel. And sometimes people are just naturals at that. I'm not saying she's not a nice person. I want to be clear. I'm just saying when you had that initial lunch with them as a couple, you go into that thinking, all right, I want to talk about Steve. I want to talk about getting Mongo involved, but then you meet Deborah. Did you think, you know, shit, she might be a pretty good character too. Or does that even cross your mind then? It didn't cross my mind at the time, maybe because I was so excited about Steve and what the potential might've been right. Steve or was actually, um, that that's really all I was interested in. And I, Deborah was certainly, I mean, she became a good friend of my wife, you know, Lori and, and we, we kind of, we became pretty good friends, the four of us and spent a lot of time together, uh, in, in the arena and away from it. So, um, so it's not that I wasn't, I didn't think highly of Deborah as a human being, obviously very attractive, yeah. right? Big personality too. If, I don't know if you've ever hung out with her, but she's a hoot. Um, but I wasn't, oh, that's not what I was looking for. She kind of came as a part of the package because she wanted to come out and wave and, you know, walk Steve back and forth to the ring. Okay. No harm, no foul there, but I didn't see it going beyond that. Obviously it did because yeah. of that larger than life character that she brought to the equation. And she did, and she loves being a heel. She, she loves being a heel way more than most of the wrestlers that I've worked with in my career love being a heel. Most of them just do it because they have to, or yeah, I got to do something different. Got to change up my character or maybe actually like it, but very few love it. She loved it. Maybe she just loved the attention and she got more attention as a heel than she would have as a baby face. Who knows? Does anybody love being a heel more than Jeff Jarrett? I'm convinced of that now. My God. Well, in Jeff's case, it's because he doesn't really have an option. Try getting <laughs> him over as a baby face. That's called lack of depth in your character. That's not that's not being in love. It's being out of options. My God. I'm goodness. sorry, Jeff. I'm still in that anti-Jeff frame of mind, brother. You put me in it, which is a testimony to your ability as a talent. You actually can make people that know better actually detest you and see through your bull. I mean, I'm sorry, Jeff. There I go again. Still cutting promos after all these years. I can't can't help it. It's forced to have it. Hey, so I'm interested in the whole Deborah piece because you said, well, she was interested in walking him to the ring and back and. It almost felt like, you know, he was sort of the necessary evil. And we, we know of other couples in wrestling here. She like, was, she was the necessary. Evil. Yeah. 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 That's what I meant. 
Uh, you know, we, uh, we know of other couples who have a similar circumstance in wrestling. We don't need to say their names. You know who they are. If you're listening to this, uh, but it is interesting to me, and maybe that's the right word. Interesting that sometimes we don't know what, how this is all going to shake out. And I think Deborah wound up being, I don't know if that was your initial takeaway. It feels like she exceeded expectations. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's one thing, in my opinion, as unhumble as I know it is, but nevertheless, it's one thing to be funny and have that kind of larger-than-life personality in a group of people yes. right, where you're comfortable. You're out in a bar or a restaurant or you're hanging around you know, somebody's house with six or eight or 10 or 15 of your friends. And that's, that's an easy environment for that fun personality to kind of come out in, but you put some of those people in front of 10 or 15,000 people and the camera's got a red light on it. And all of a sudden they just aren't as charismatic as they were when you were in your basement, having beers, laughing about shit, right? It changes some people. It changes most people. Deborah was the opposite of that. Then you take this person who is having fun, life of the parties, fun to be with, always, always, always making a joke, one way, shape, or form. And she she had a, a really interesting self-deprecating humor, too, because she did the beauty pageant thing. But, I mean, you know, I'll never forget, you know, shortly after, oh, this is a funny, I don't usually tell stories, but I'm going to tell this one. So shortly after, I, I hired um, Steve and Deborah. And Lori and I be able, began to hang out with them, you know, like at Disney, we were always together. We got to dinner and the Sturgis ride. We shared a motor home and, you know, rode Harleys together a lot. And anyway, hanging out one night after we had kind of reached that next level of friendship, we're sitting around. And I think it was on the Sturgis trip, actually one of the, the first one. It was cause Steve had this, uh, called it a fat boy, Harley fat boy, yeah. a bigger bodied bike, you know, the kind of a classic road bike looking thing, but he had a big pair, big pair of Texas longhorn antlers <laughs> mounted on his handlebar. That's fine. Cause it's such a Texas thing. But on that trip, we're sitting in a motorhome. Now there's, you know, it's at the end of the day, everybody's kind of beat up from riding. Of course you're having cocktails and Deborah tells the story. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to suck because I can't do a Deborah impersonation, but it's like, oh, honey, it was so embarrassing. We were in that pool in that hotel, and there were people all around. Of course, they knew it was Stephen because, well, everybody knows and loves Stephen in Texas, right? She said, so I'm in the pool, and all of a sudden, I think I got a poot, and I pooted. And to my surprise... A big old turd floated right up in front of my face, and everybody saw it. <laughs> I, yeah, we're becoming friends, but that's not the story I would tell somebody that I'm just be. Oh, and by the way, I, I kind of work for them, you know, kind of my boss. Anyway, I thought it was funny. You, you would have had to be there, but that's exactly the type of personality. No, you don't have to be had. there. You huh? just You don't have to be there. I got it. I just, 
But it's you, but but it's such an ironic thing too, because you see this woman who spent so much time, you know, putting on makeup and this and that and jewelry and oh my god, her wardrobe had to be worth three times as much as my house here in Wyoming, and yet she'll talk about shit in her drawers and it floating to the top right in front of her face. You know, she's she's got that kind of personality, and that's what the difference is, I think, and the surprise that I think your question alludes to is you never know, man. You, you just because you have an expectation of what somebody's going to be capable of doing. I don't, don't even, be surprised once in a while. If that shit floats to the top and everybody gets to see it <laughs> and you have a star on your hands, I won't say she was a star, but she became an important part of the, the equation. And she wants shit the pool. Boys and boys and girls, this oh, and, is why and, you and listen. That's not, and I've heard, I, sh- I probably have another five or six stories if I spend you know an hour thinking about it. How many more you pools know, did she shit in, Eric? Is that the only huh? one? Did she shit in multiple pools? Is this the only? No, but she shit her she shit her drawers jogging, and had to had to make the rest of her trip home with shitty drawers. And you got to know if Deborah was out jogging. <laughs> Right, she's wearing some of that print, pretty satiny, brightly colored, all the right, you know, hot jogging clothes that a woman could possibly spend a fortune on. You know, it was that. It's not out like she's running around a pair of black sweatpants where she could have got away with shit in her drawers and nobody would have seen it or noticed it. Not much, anyway. Is this, anyway, no, I heard a lot of those, brother. Is this something that you've been holding back on us this whole time? No, it's something that I've never thought about till this whole time. Well, from now on, I want you to huh? think of every time we bring up a topic every week, did this person ever shit their pants? <laughs> did they, did no, they shit I, the pool? It, 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 because look, this could become a sponsored piece of our show. Oh, great. I'm just, you know, we're looking for sponsorable elements. And all I can think is you're telling me that, you know, of on more than one occasion where Deborah shit herself, maybe she needed to switch up her diet a little bit. Maybe she needs a rec tech. This is an amazing company. Not one of those other shitty. Maybe grills. she needs depends. That could be a new, new sponsor depends. And I'm old as fuck. So it's kind of a natural fit, buddy. If we can get you strutting ass on here and some depends. We're going to the moon. We're going to get you on OnlyFans and depends. This is going to hit. I'm going to have you out the there world. in your adult diaper, working your rec tech. Cause you got all the coolers, the apparel, the grill accessories and more. And rec tech grills range from 399 bucks all the way to three grand. They got something for every lifestyle, every budget, but most importantly, they all have a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Now I want to mention their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman. And that means all of their grills actually ship for free. Plus the Rectech pellet grills are made with high quality stainless steel. They're built to last a lifetime. I had one of those other shitty pellet wood grills before it was not the same level of construction. So I threw it out like Deborah McMichael's drawers. And now I've got a Rectech. Rectech's flagship model, the RT 700. What are we doing? Comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper, 702 square inches of cooking space. The PID Wi-Fi controller and a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, even dehydrate on the grill, all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectech. So it's time to toss that old tasteless gas grill aside. Get rid of that messy charcoal grill or even that overhyped brand name grill aside. 
join an elite wood pellet grilling family by focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Rectech has set the new standard in grilling. Visit rectech.com. That's R E C T E Q. Use the code Bischoff five and get 5% off site wide. Now let's recap. That's 5% off their top notch wood pellet grills. They're one of a kind Rectech ice or coolers. They're chef tested rubs and sauces, the accessories, the merch buddy. Everything is 5% off at rectech.com. When you use the promo code Bischoff five, that's R E C T E Q.com. Wow. That is the, that is going to be the most legendary rec tech spot we ever do. Uh, I had no idea we were going to talk about bowel movements today, but this is one of my favorite episodes already. And we're just 30 minutes in. Well, let's, let's lighten up the rec tech stage just a little bit for one quick story. Okay. This has happened this past week. My sister, my she, sister's uh, name's Lori too. I got a wife named Lori and a sister named Lori. Your sister, Lori shit her pants. No, oh, okay. no, no, no. Jump. You see, you're so excited about that shitter drawer story that now you just can't wait to jump into another one. That's I'm, just, not what I'm this thinking is. you got another one. I'm every... talking about my rec tech. Here, okay. Man. I'm talking got about it. something exciting. So my sister brings two of her buddies, right? She rides with these two guys, Bob and Troy, and they pull into town last week while I was you know, in Nashville. So I didn't get home until whatever it was, Monday. I get here. They've been already been riding around, but my sister said, hey, Eric, I've been bragging about your cooking. Cause I am good. And my wife, my sister brags about it. So does my wife. But I said, Oh, I don't know, man. I'm going to go up riding motorcycles in the Yellowstone. We're going to ride to red lodge. We're going to all this riding going on for the next four days. I don't know. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get a three pound half Wagyu, half Angus beef tenderloin from my, my friends over here at Wyoming Legacy Meats, which, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, rest assured you're going to be hearing a lot more about Wyoming Legacy Meats and how it can change your future. Anyway, I go get my three-pound half Wagyu, half Angus. I bring it home. Lori makes his fantastic, my wife Lori, makes his fantastic chimichurri sauce. It is amazing. So she makes that up. I marinate the three-pound loin, marinate it for about six hours, take it out, preheat the rec tech. Now, I want a little bit of smoke on it, so I dial it in at 225 degrees, which I've learned to be the best temperature to yep. get that kind of level of smoke that I particularly like. So what I love about rec tech, the versatile, you can do shit. So anyway... I slow cooked this thing. I don't remember how long it was. It was only took about 90 minutes, maybe a little longer because we like our stuff rare and or medium rare. So I took it off the grill, put it right on the other side of the grill, which is made for searing, turned up the heat, a couple minutes each side, put that chimichurri sauce on it. They left here thinking that I was a God-like person. They put me on that much of a pedestal because that steak off that rec deck that I have in my driveway changed their lives. They're each going to buy one. Check it out, boys and girls. You're going to love it. R E C T E Q.com. Use that promo code Bischoff five. Let them know you heard us on uh, this program bragging about them and uh, save yourself 5%. That's rectech.com. The uh, promo code is Bischoff five. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I don't know where we go from here. It feels like the show is, uh, all downhill at this point. I don't know that we'll ever, that's a high water mark to me. Uh, you and I yelling at each other about it was daytime. You and I yelling at each other about the sting finish Starcade 97. And now Deborah McMichael shitting her pants on more than one occasion. <sighs> Send your hate tweets to at E Bischoff because I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> but I would say who smelt it, dealt it, but we know Deborah dealt. Let's keep going. Uh, does Mongo have an audition? I, I know you said you had this idea to have him, uh, behind the desk and, and be that Jesse Ventura esque personality. But do you, do you ever sit him down and say, Hey, let's just pull up a match on the monitor here and let him do his thing. And let's see how we feel about it. Or was it just, Nope, we're going to sign him up and roll the dice. I wasn't worried. At, I didn't know there was no audition. I would have, that would have been. No, it wouldn't even have ever occurred to me. And I know that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but for me, I went into it knowing that I was going to have to mold him, not mold him. I was going to have to help him find his rhythm and his groove based on what I was looking for and what I felt I needed. I didn't need to hear a lot from him. I needed him to be upbeat. I needed him to be serious and intense when it needed to be. I needed him to put over the talent. I didn't need him to be able to call, you know, luchador matches. I didn't need that, but I needed his credibility and believability mixed in with humor and charisma. And I knew I had all that. The rest of it, if he would have been like the best thing I ever heard, great. If he would have just absolutely froze up and shit the bed, here we go again. Now you got me thinking about it. <laughs> have to use that term. It's your fault. That's your fault. Okay. I'm excited about that stuff. Anyway, it didn't matter to me. So no, I, I, I knew if he was horrible, I could get him out of it because I had confidence uh, in myself. I had to learn how to do that. Someone had to teach me how to get comfortable behind the mic. And I felt capable of, of helping him get to the level that he would be comfortable at. And the rest of it, he already had in spades. So nah, no audition necessary. Talk to me about him easing into wrestling. How does that come to be? Do you, does he express interest or, and you placate him? Do you think, Hey, it might be cool as a one-off. Let's just have you sort of run the ropes and get familiar at the power plant. Just talk me through how that went from an idea to, Oh no, it's happening. It, it, it was more Steve really saying, Hey, you know, cause he likes con That's the thing, man. Steve loved the contact too. Guys that grew up since the time they were born, well, not born, but by the time they're six or seven years old, are especially in Texas, you're playing football early in your life, and you excel, and you, I mean, your whole life is contact. Yeah. And Steve loved it. So it was no, it was Steve's idea. I don't like to use the word placate because it wasn't a negotiation point. It wasn't something that I felt, oh, God, I've got to put up with this. I'll just figure it out. You know, it wasn't that. It was like, okay, he was excited about color. I knew he would be great in the role that I needed at that time. Keep in mind, from a business perspective, we haven't touched on that. Having 
a Super Bowl champion of Steve McMichael's status in your booth. It's a big deal. On Monday nights is kind of a good thing. Wrestling fans may or may not dig it. Didn't fucking matter, folks, because we knew we believed and we were right. Ultimately, that having somebody like Steve changes the way advertisers and sponsors look at you. And we also got a lot of coverage, especially out of markets like Chicago. So it was a good thing all around. And I want to make sure to mention you were clear in saying on a Monday night, because there's a portion of the year where Monday night football is a big dog on deal. And if you've got one of their most prolific talkers on your program, if the game is less than, and sometimes when those schedules are made, they don't know how good these teams are going to be. And they're trying to put their, some of their best foot forwards on the Sunday night games and the Monday night games and what have you. But every now and again, there's some injuries happen or some personality conflicts and some personnel changes and just the match matchup becomes a stinker. So maybe the hope is, well, Hey, they'll flip it over here and see what Mongo's up to. Right. You know, that might've been kind of an ancillary benefit that we, we may have talked about. I don't remember that. I, I I just really believe it it wasn't so much trying to attract an NFL fan, a football fan on a Monday night. That wouldn't have made any sense. It was more about the idea in general that this Super Bowl champion, kind of a big media personality, mm-hmm. everybody knows who everybody knew in the sports world who Steve was. Um, that had value, whether it was on a Monday night during the NFL season or not. Um, just saw a lot of value in him, and as well as just being a fun guy to work with. So something I've always found interesting is before the first Nitro, you do the big press conference and announce Nitro. Is going to be a thing. I guess the Harley Davidson cafe there in Times Square, you've got the macho man there. You've got Hulk Hogan there. You've got sting there. You've got Mongo there. I know we've talked about it before. No Ric Flair. That's always been interesting to me. I certainly get the, the bright and colorfulness of sting. You, you definitely want to make sure he's there and goodness gracious. You've invested all this cash and time into Hogan and Savage. But Flair's kind of the heritage guy for the promotion. He's not there. Mongo is. Uh, did you give that a second thought, or was it more about, hey, let's cart the big baby faces out there? Maybe it doesn't make sense for a heel. Just talk me through. Mongo gets the opportunity, and I know it's a media thing. I get that, but feels as if there was somebody missing from that. Wow. There was, I mean, it was a misstep. It was a fuck up on my part. Okay. That's what that was. It it was probably, and let's, and I know you acknowledge it and I appreciate it. When you said, I get, it's a media thing. No, that's the only thing it was. Right. There was no other purpose, especially in New York to do anything except for try to get as much press as we could. Of course. And this is where. Rick would have been justified if he would have gotten his feelings hurt or pissed off. And that's assuming I didn't ask Rick to do it or Rick was available. Right. There's a lot, lot of assumptions that. made there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think, I don't think his con- conflicted schedule was an issue. I think it was just a fuck up on my part, but those were the guys Hogan and Hogan primarily um, Savage behind that sting behind that 
McMichael I knew would get sports coverage that even Hulk and Randy wouldn't. Yeah. Right. There's because there's a certain there are certain journalists out there, there are certain morning, you know, drive guys out there that are only going to talk about sports things. They're not going to talk about professional wrestling things. But if there's a f- sports thing, there's an NFL thing, there's a high profile guy like Steve McMichael standing on stage at a press conference with Hulk Hogan and Savage, that's kind of a big deal. And they'll cover that. Leaving Rick out um was that was a mistake and it was an insult. Actually, I feel worse about the insult than I do the mistake. I don't think we would have gotten even more coverage had Rick been there, but it would have been the right thing to do for the company. And it would have been the right thing to do by Rick. So Meltzer would write about the signing on his August 7th edition of the observer. The latest idea subject to change is that the Monday night show will have Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan and possibly a third person doing the announcing which might be Steve McMichael, the former NFL football player who the WBF was considering using as recently as a few days ago. McMichael signed with WCW on July 31st and will start out as an announcer and will be going to the WCW school. And the idea is that he'll wind up being a wrestler. He has to be introduced to the wrestlers at the Disney tapings. If you recall, McMichael showed a lot of fire as he did great in his angle earlier this year on raw with comma. But almost has to be a heel because he's got real cocky mannerisms. So it's written as if the WWF was actively pursuing him. And this is kind of a cool coup for you. Um, we know he's obviously going to start as an announcer, but transition into being a wrestler. But I've always been fascinated by the lineup too. Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, Steve McMichael. I feel like I'm doing this two times in a row. Why no Tony Schiavone? Is it because you felt like Vince was a part of the announced crew and he knows the stories and the direction. And maybe you can do that. Did you think Tony was overexposed from being on WCW for so long? Or what's the thinking there? It, it was, I want to be careful how I say this. Cause I, I, I really uh, love and respect Tony, but Tony had been on the front lines through some really bad television yes, for a long time. Yes. And that takes its toll. And it not like it would have been Tony's fault that even a fan wouldn't consciously say, Oh, this shit is getting horrible. And Tony's making it worse. Not that. Right. What I'm saying is they associate you because as an announcer, there's nobody on that show that's on the show more than the color and a play-by-play team. You, you, you are that show and everything else is going on around you in terms of your presence, your, your constant presence for two hours. Sometimes. Um, and I just thought Tony had been on the front lines through so much shitty TV. I didn't want to put him on the front lines of something that needed to feel completely fresh and new. It was more of that. Certainly not because Tony wasn't capable. Tony was more than capable. Tony's always been a better announcer than I was. It wasn't, okay, well, I'm better than Tony. It was, he just needs a rest more than anything. And it, it, it was too important to me to take that gamble. You know, if I'm betting that the audience isn't going to associate Tony with other brand new WCW ideas. Um, if I'm going to make that bet, I think it would have been a bad bet. 
And I just didn't want to take it. I want to eliminate any possibilities of people deciding in advance what Nitro was going to look like. So the more I could do that felt fresh and different and new and the opposite of what WCW would normally have done, that's kind of what I leaned into. Talk to me about the trio here. Do you and, and Steve and Bobby practice a show? Do you just get everybody in Atlanta and watch a monitor and somebody's directing traffic and okay, you'll do analysis and you'll do funny haha and I'll do the play by play. And when I tap your leg and is that something you practice or is it like, nope, ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. Okay. Ready, set, go. Again, I knew what I was doing. Right. As a traffic cop. I want to be clear because all the jack offs out there that just get off on trolling. Um, it's not that I thought I was the greatest play by play guy. I was pretty good. It was better than average, but not great. Um, but what I was really good at and as good as anybody else is pacing and controlling being that traffic cop, making sure that things keep moving, right? Making sure that we're plugging all the things that we need to plug. Cause I got a list right here and knowing when to plug it and how to tease the next segment and how to build up and, and pace yourself while you're building anticipation for the main event, because you can't forget about that. You've got to keep that thread going. If you're actually producing episodic TV, which a lot of people don't anymore, they're producing wrestling, but it's not episodic. At least not to the extent that it used to be, or should be. But if a good play by a play announcer knows how to juggle all those tasks and when to achieve them, I was a hundred percent confident in my technical ability, if not artful ability. Um, Bobby, in his sleep um, could do his role. Yes. He knew what to do and when to do it. And Bobby and I certainly didn't have to communicate. Now with Steve in the very beginning, he and I would go over a couple points. If there's a, something's going to happen in a match or something I want to say, you know, I want him to say about a specific wrestler. I would just talk him through it. It's not like I'm going to hand him a script that would have made it harder actually, but just conversationally. Okay. And this match, Steve, here's what we're going to do. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Just put this guy over, talk about what a tough guy he is. Talk about his speed, talk about his footwork, anything that you can see that coming out of you is believable. Okay, boss, I got that. And we'd go out and we'd do it. And we get through that match. And during the commercial break, we'd kind of do the same thing. Um, but it was all for the most part, very improv. No, we didn't rehearse. We didn't prep. I didn't feel it was necessary. And I liked, look, oh, for years now, certainly since we've been doing this podcast and in many, many interviews before, I've talked about the things that I admire so much about WWE. And I've talked about the things that I just don't understand. Right. right? And I've, I've thought through those things over the years. And, and even though I, I don't like them, I do understand them. One of the things that I haven't liked and I'm starting to get a little excited here lately, but one of the things over the last two decades that I found really off-putting for me as a viewer and a fan in WWE's programming is that it's so formulaic. Yes. I mean, every I I can almost hear a promo that I can hear the completed promo that someone does as they're starting that promo because they're so similar. And I've heard it home so many times. It's like, oh my gosh. Now the formula has worked really well for them. Five billion dollar market cap company. Okay, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Right. 
So I'm not criticizing it. I just don't like it. Um, one of the things that I did with Nitro is knowing that the audience likes spontaneity. This is never, you know, I've talked about this. You know, I listen to so many people discuss and write and they're so supposedly wrestling experts. And what they don't really understand are, are the real reasons why Nitro was such a huge success right out of the shoot. And I mean, we were competitive. We were head to head right out of the shoot. We didn't dominate them for another year, but it's not like we were only getting 40 or 50 or 60 or 70% of their ratings. It was, they got a 3.5. We got a 3.1. We got a 3.2. They got a three point flat. You know what I mean? It was close all the time till it wasn't. Um, but one of the reasons was because when I created the nitro format, literally in my, in a room by myself with a legal pad and a pencil, I had to be different. I had to be different. And one of the first things I did is literally at the top of the list, their tape, I'm live. Because through all the research, and I've talked about this before, I promise I won't dig in the well to spend too much time in as well. But of all the research I did, the one common denominator that I heard from dozens of focus groups all over the country was spontaneity. We like to be surprised. They didn't say spontaneity. We just love just love when stuff happens. We didn't think that was going to happen. Huh? Note to self over and over and over again. So I go, okay. The only way you can achieve that is to be live. Otherwise you just really, it's not the same thing. So anyway, that, that was a big part of it. And that's also why, Hey, if there was, if there was a flub in a booth, it's like, I didn't, I didn't twist my head off over that. Right. You just go, you get, it's live. It felt it's real. Okay. Yeah. It's almost good every once in a while. If it happens organically. Yes. It, it can create a sense of humor. I mean, you can laugh and joke about it depending on the nature of the flub, right? Yeah. Um, it could take you in a different direction. It, it, it can turn out positive. So now I was worried about it. God, I'm so long winded today. No, I'm so glad you're AG one kicked in about 20 minutes ago. I felt to go, Ooh, there it is. <laughs> I love you for that. I feel like, um, we should at least talk about what Meltzer thought of his performance, him being Mongo pronouns, pal. This is his recap of, uh, the very first nitro. There were the requisite first time problems. The most obvious of which was the announcing Bobby Heenan was better than he's been on recent Saturday and pay-per-view shows, but his gimmick is predictable old hat today. Bischoff can't call the match and both were worlds better than Steve McMichael who came off as obnoxious and clueless at the same time, which is not the best combination for someone trying to play a babyface role. All three appeared to go into the show unprepared. So with preparation, they could improve, but McMichael didn't appear to have any potential in the role as he's a natural heel. He's not quick witted enough for this role. He doesn't speak well. And most importantly, is in no way a big enough celebrity that it will mean squat when it comes to the ratings. The <laughs> sooner they drop him, the better, and it isn't going to be sooner. So whatever Meltzer thought, Mongo stayed in that role for nine months until May of 1996. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we just skip over that, how did those ratings do during that period of time? I feel like you did pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Fuck Dave Meltzer. Well, on that note, let's remind you that this episode is brought to you by car shield who make it easy and affordable, protect my cars from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters, 
CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. And let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taking care of. Same goes if your car breaks down or if you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost, too. Get coverage today, and you'll lock in your price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So let's jump back into Mongo here. He's got his pet Chihuahua Pepe. Help me understand whose idea is this? How does this come to be? I think Pepe was kind of like Deborah. It was just part of it. I got you. Yeah. I mean, and first of all, who's going to say no to a puppy? I'm uh, not. Okay. You know me. I'm a dog lover, dude. Secondly, I thought, you know, this is irony. Irony is really cool in, in, in a character or in a story or a joke. Um, I, irony is often underestimated in terms of its value. And I thought... How cool is it to have this big Texas badass Super Bowl champion lineman, legendary, up there holding a little chihuahua like Paris Hilton did? Right? It's, it's ironic, and I love the irony in that. It's like if it, it, it's like you know if you find out you know like uh, Brock Lesnar. If you look through his playlist, he loves Chopin. Well, what? It's interesting. Anyway, that was that. I love Pepe. He's a mean little fucker. Those things are always mean. Chihuahuas, they're just always nasty. Yeah. They just bite. They're just. And even if they bite, you can't fucking hurt you. Their mouths only open up about that wide. What are they going to get? You know? They ain't getting anything, but they like to make it look like they will. And I love dogs. I just not a big fan of chihuahuas. Chihuahuas and uh, Twitter trolls got a lot in common. They're kind of the same. They're kind of the same. Let's talk about Deborah. She starts appearing at WCW events in early 96. Uh, she's essentially an unnamed valet for Hogan and Savage. And then a couple of months later, she's in the crowd when Ric Flair starts hitting on her. How does that evolve into, Hey, if he wrestles, you'll walk her down to, Hey, get out there with Hogan and Savage. Hey, let's let flair hit on you. Did she just start to grow on folks? People saw money in her hateability or character or. Yeah, I think that was it. You know, I just, it happened really organically. Like there wasn't a meeting. There wasn't somebody coming in and saying, Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do this. Let me walk you through this scene. There's none of that. It was just, and who knows, it could have happened at a house show or 
could have happened in a dark matter. I don't know, man. I, I it just kind of happened organically, and people are having fun with it. And here's the rule. Well, it used to be a rule. I don't know what the rules are anymore. It used to be if you could get the talent to have fun with an idea, the odds of that idea working were going to be pretty good. If they're bought in, yeah. Yeah. And because the energy changes, you know, one is, okay, I'm going to go dig that ditch. I got to dig because I'm a ditch digger and that's my ditch. The other is, oh man, instead of grabbing a shovel, let's go get that bobcat. See if we can have some fun with this ditch. Big difference. Right. And I think that's probably what happened with Deborah. So eventually it leads to Mongo challenging flair. And he's announced at Slamboree that Kevin green will be his partner to face flair and Arn at the great American bash in June of 96. So I guess if you're going to start a couple of guys who were maybe green to the wrestling business, but you know, have something in Mongo and Kevin green, you probably couldn't pick better opponents than flair and Arn to sort of take care of them at the time. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And there was a lot of respect there. I mean, Steve had a lot of respect for both Rick and Arn, uh, which again, guess what? Just makes everything easier, right? No matter what it is, whether it's agreeing to show up and walk through matches and work on a match or do whatever you have to do, or you need those guys out on the road together, promoting said match to the media, whatever it is, gets a lot easier when people are friends and have mutual respect. Mongo's training at the power plant. I presume is Sarge helping him get ready to the best of your recollection. I, well, I'm, I'm sure Sarge was involved. I would hundred percent certain, but I can't imagine he wasn't. I also, if Terry Taylor was, was still with the company, cause I, Terry and I, you know, part of company a couple different times. Uh, but I always, regardless, I always had a tremendous amount of respect for Terry, Terry, Terry Taylor's teaching ability. Right. There are you, and I hate to even use it. It's so overused, you know, those who can do those who can't do teach, which I think is offensive to teachers, but didn't mean that. But as by way of an example, Terry Taylor is one of those guys who could do, but he was even better at teaching it. Ray was another guy like that. Okay. Um, there were others that I knew. Um, but Terry might've been one of the best. He was really good at that. So I would have definitely had Terry in, in that process. Assuming I hadn't fired him <laughs> or made him quit. Talk to me a little bit about Deborah in support of Mongo. We've heard some family members and folks say, oh, we really don't want you to get into wrestling. Oh, I'm nervous. He could get hurt. Whatever. Was she supportive of his decision to do stuff in the ring? Was she pushing for it? Was she against it? Did she have to be sold on it? Do you recall? No, she was, she was a hundred percent supportive and this is going to come out all kinds of shitty just is, but I, I try to be honest here. I don't try to be mean, but I do try to be honest. And sometimes it comes off mean. I think Deborah figured out early on the higher and more Steve got pushed, the more attention she was going to get. So anything that would have been good for Steve would have been good for Deborah in her mind. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just think that's the way it worked. We both know women like that in wrestling. Um, let's talk about Randy Savage, at least in the storyline, 
There's a, a series of vignettes produced because let's remind everybody, Randy Savage is in a big feud with Ric Flair. And there's these vignettes that come out that look as if Mongo and Kevin green are getting trained for the match and getting ready for the match with Ric Flair with some help from the macho man. Was the macho man involved in that process or at all? Or is that just for TV? I know he's going to be in their corner for the match. I'm just, did he, did he help? I think it was just for TV because let, let's be real. You got, who are the captain? Who are the generals in that match? Right, we got Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Yeah, exactly. they're working with Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. The, the and again, the respect there. Oh, and the wealth of knowledge. <laughs> I don't think we needed an assist. Now, as far as basics, fundamentals, like I say, that would have been power plant stuff. As far as really training for the match, I mean, training for the match itself, laying out that match, knowing what that match was going to be in order to prepare and get the reps in. So it's not the first time you've done all this stuff. I would imagine that was more Arn and Rick, probably more Arn than Rick, but I don't know that could have been the other way around. Just Arn was, Arn was available more. What I mean, Arn spent more time in Atlanta. So Bobby Heenan is going to come out of retirement to wind up coaching Flair and Anderson on the opposite side. So to just set the stage here, it's Steve Mongo, McMichael and Kevin green with Randy Savage in their corner against flair and Arn with Bobby Heenan in their corner. And of course, during the match, Mongo and Deborah both turn heel join the four horsemen and Mongo is going to attack Kevin green with a briefcase filled with savages money, which is a big part of this flair savage storyline. So this feels like a natural to me. It did feel a little bit like we were swimming upstream. If we're trying to get Mongo over as a baby face, he does feel like a natural heel. He loves it. Um, him being with the horseman just made a lot of sense. Did it take any convincing for flair and Arn, or were they all about it? I know in real life flair says when people say, Oh, so-and-so was the worst horseman. If they ever throw Mongo's name in there, he shuts that down right away because outside of the ring in real life at the hotel, at the bar, making towns, whatever Mongo was more of a horseman than a lot of them. According to Rick, what say you? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to speak to what makes a horseman and what doesn't. I'll leave that up to Rick uh, and Arn. But um, first of all, I don't, you know, getting getting Steve on board, it, it wasn't, there was no, is he a baby face or is he a heel? It was, he's Steve McMichael, Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears. That's who he is. He's a funny guy. He's quick-witted. He's got credibility. There was no, yeah, but he's got to be a baby face. There wasn't that. There was, there was no commitment to be a heel. There wasn't that either. It just kind of organically evolved, which is by the way, more often than not, when things evolve organically and they're not being pushed, the odds of them being successful are greater. It just happened that he was going to be a heel. And, uh, you know, I'd have to let Rick answer that brother. I can't guess. I don't like to put words in other people's mouths. My guess is. Rick would have been thrilled with it, but I could be wrong. You probably know better than I do. Has he told you differently? Curious no, now. no, I mean, I think, um, I think everybody who was involved in that group was glad that Mongo was a part of it. And they saw that he, you know, understood how to be a heel and he fit the role of a big badass. And I'm sure, you know, if they had their druthers, they would have 
wish that Mongo was a little more comfortable in the ring, but man, when, when you've got Ric Flair and you've got Arn Anderson and you've got Chris Benoit, you kind of got the in-ring stuff covered. It's okay to have a big badass in the group, right? Yeah. But you know what? With all due respect to, to Rick and Arn in this, in this particular case that we're talking about, a lot of that has to do with, you know, taking the responsibility as the ring general and kind of laying out the parameters. Okay, Steve, this is what you do. And this is when you do it. Let me show you how to do it and not let a guy like Steve McMichael, who's just nothing but a competitive machine who wants to go out there and do all kinds of amazing stuff, who wants to sacrifice his body, who's willing to do just about anything. Um, sometimes you've got to slow that down and protect them from themselves. So, yeah, I think a lot of us would have been happier if Steve would have had more experience. Um, I wish I would have had more experience. I wish I would have been the one that said, look, Steve, we're seeing, you know, great. I know you want to try, but let's slow down. Let's get real comfortable doing two or three or four things at the right time than trying to do 12 things before you should. It's part of talent's responsibility as well. Sure. And I know. It's going to come up shitty. Rick's going to get pissed. Darren's going to get pissed. Well, sorry, boys. Just being honest. Just being honest. Rick and Arn don't listen. We're okay. Oh, no, but somebody will tweet it out. Somebody will say, Rick Flair, the fucking Sportskedia, by the way. These guys are the worst. <laughs> they are the worst. They're nice they guys. Out, like, they pick out, they pick out the most toxic thing that you know i'll say on this on this Buddy. podcast not, not even thinking it means anything really it could be just part of something else i was saying but that fucking headline i get up you know monday morning and i go oh god eric and i and i want to get mad at him but i go well you're the dumb shit that said it you know well Don't and, say and dumb shit they and, won't write dumb things and they're covering it and i'm thankful for the coverage so thank you Sports i know Theater. i know i love them over there they're great guys but they, they do they i just did an interview with them about my book by the way that we haven't even plugged you're grateful it's available at bishopbook.com wrote it with guy evans actually he wrote it with me that's really what it happened <laughs> great book though and it talks about all the things i'm grateful for including the opportunity to work with a guy like steve mcmichael <laughs> And it's going to have a QR code at the end of every chapter where you're going to be able to get an exclusive interview with the subject of that particular chapter that's never been done before. This is going to be Gutenberg Bible-like collectible stuff here pretty soon, folks. All right? This has never been done. This is going to, much like I changed the face of professional wrestling back in 1995 with the launch of Nitro, and then again in 1996 with the NWO, this book, Grateful, is likely to change the world of publishing and you can get it for And If you go to bishopbook.com, I'm not shitting you now. This is a real, this is a real plug. I'm not trying to be funny. Cause you know, I'm not, you saw me at the roast, Oh God! but if you order the book at bishopbook.com, you'll get it autographed by me and by guy Evans. And you'll get that potentially Gutenberg Bible like book that will likely be a collector's item. Because it's a part of history in the publishing business. You'll get it autographed. I'm sorry. What were we talking about? I just love that you just went, 
You're like, Hey, look, a dirt road, shiny object. Here we go. Uh, that was fun for me. I, uh, I do want to remind you that the way you started this program and after what you said near the top of the show, you could right now share America's fucking nuclear codes and it wouldn't be written about the headline. I don't know. Monday by lunch. Deborah McMichael shit her pants, comma, twice. <laughs> At this point, we don't have to, you can say whatever you want to say right now. Nobody's going to hear it. Um, he's Are in the suggesting nobody's listening to our show. No, I'm saying people will be so excited. They're going to hear the Deborah McMichael shit her pants, hit pause and start typing. I, and, <laughs> and the response will be so big. I mean, we, you talked about it. This is a college graduate, nice person, well-respected TV star shitting in the pool and you just and talking about it. Like it was no big deal. Hypothetically has Mrs. B ever shit in the pool and saw it float to the top. No. Okay. If she, if, and if she, she did, she didn't tell me about it for crying out loud. And if she did, you wouldn't told it on the podcast. On the one hand, I'm half ashamed of you. And on the other hand, I'm proud. This is the definition of mixed emotions because I know people are going to love this content, but I'm wondering, are we really fixing to air a story of a lady shitting in the pool? And I reckon we are, uh, here we go. Mongo is going to be used pretty sparingly at first. He has 13 matches in the last six months of 1996. He wrestled our old great close personal friend who we got to hang out with this past week. Mr. Joe Gomez. In his very first singles match at Bash at the Beach, 1996. Here's what he said. McMichael has the attitude and his wife has the look, but it was painful putting two guys who were both so green out there on a pay-per-view and having them go this long and it exposed him big time. Just terrible. Negative half a star. Six minutes and 44 seconds. It finished with a tombstone pile driver and nobody died. So that's good. But maybe not exactly what we hoped for here. Huh? Yeah. Yes. And here's why the long exasperated pause. Cause I can't argue with, with Dave's take on that. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was talking about earlier about overexposing. There's a way to do this stuff, right? There's a way to get, and I don't want to suggest that I'm an expert on this. I've, I've never wrestled. Therefore, I mean, I've done stuff in the ring. That's not the same as wrestling. Um, so I, I don't want to speak like I know what I'm talking about, but I've seen it happen where you take somebody that is athletic, but inexperienced and you can have matches with them and build up their abilities over enough period of time that they get more comfortable doing more things. And that would have been the right approach with Steve, especially since we knew we were going to have a long-term relationship with him. It wasn't like this is a one and doneer. It isn't like, okay, let's just get this out of our system. So maybe you'll change his mind. Um, no. And that's again, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first hit cause I was running the company, but the agents, the friends, people they were working with, Steve was working with, uh, and in this case, Kevin, man, it, uh, 
would have liked them to protect him from himself a little more. But it is what it is. He still had the time of his life. So let's talk a little bit about um, what could have been. And I know that that seems crazy because Mongo did have a pretty nice career for himself here. I mean, he's going to be a part of the horseman and, you know, commentator for nitro. And now he's got a cool storyline. Maybe some of the wrestling is what it is, but I, I just can't help but wonder. And again, this is a crazy thought, but we know he knows how to get heat. We know he's got believability and credibility with, you know, football fans and now wrestling fans, just based on that pedigree. He's with a badass group like the horseman. Could it have worked? I'm not comparing him to this guy, but could it have worked to have him a series of quick, short Goldberg like squashes? I'm not saying he could have been Goldberg, but I am saying if he just comes in and just mows these dudes, like if he beat Joe Gomez in a minute, big power move, big power move, finish done. That wouldn't have exposed him perhaps, and it would have cemented him further as a badass, right? Could that have worked? Or is that, was that not even on the radar at the time? No, it wasn't on the radar. Nobody, nobody came to me with that idea. Um, and if someone would have, I would have probably gotten really excited about it. Just like I did with bill Goldberg. Cause they were kind of in the same boat, right? Yes. Football players who had credibility and charisma. But maybe not the best ring in ring performers yet. Well, because neither one of them had any experience. Correct. So they were very now, you know, Dave's saying, Well, he's not Stephen Michael is not well known though. I'm, I'm sorry, Stephen Michael was pretty well known within the sports world. Maybe not yes. to a you know, wrestling geek jerking off in his basement over five star Japanese wrestling matches, but to your average eighteen forty nine year old that typically watches sports that likes wrestling, yeah, everybody knew who Stephen Michael was. So that's First things first there, Davey. Um, but if beyond that, you got two intense, right? Personalities were very similar, two very intense. Um, guys that love contact, they just had to have that contact. That's why Bill liked to put his head through shit, you know, and his and his fist through stuff. Just that's how he said hello to himself in the morning. You know, it's like he can't get that first cup of coffee down if he doesn't draw blood somewhere. They were very similar that way. Um, so, yeah, you're right, man. If if Stephen Michael would have, if somebody would have come up with the Bill Goldberg squash match trajectory as a build, Bill Goldberg might not have ever happened. You're not going to do it twice, right? Or maybe he would. I don't know. He probably would have. We would, have, we would have rode that horse till it couldn't fucking walk anymore, but you never know. It's an interesting thought. It is. And, um, something God, I'll think look- about that. Think about that. If somebody would have come up and said, Hey, Eric, especially, I mean, whoever booked Gomez and, and Steve together, that, I mean, just right off the bat, that's so unfair to both of them. Right. That's just, okay, let's throw them out there. We so know they're going to fail. Horrible decision. Um, but somebody would have come to me and said, I got this idea for Steve. Bill Goldberg would have never happened. Wow. It's crazy to think about. Instead of getting the Goldberg effect, you gave him Jeff Jarrett. 
Jeff Jarrett joins WCW. They're going to have a little bit of a feud over Deborah. She's going to wind up costing Steve his match against Jeff at super brawl in February of 97. You're teasing. This is Jeff a horseman. Is he not? We found out a couple of Sundays ago. Definitely not. Uh, and then, you know, Jeff is another guy, a lot like Rick and Arn. He's going to be able to make chicken salad with a, with a green guy like Mongo. I could see how it makes sense, but at the time, buddy, I just did not care about it. And it felt like it was the same thing forever. It felt like Jeff and Mongo were just sort of spinning their wheels. He did have two high profile matches against two fellow football players. We've already covered it this year on 83 weeks. First it's Reggie white at Slamboree. Mongo gets the win. And then Kevin green the next month at great American bash. This time green gets his hand raised, but these are big spots for McMichael very early on in his wrestling career. And it's sort of a, a crazy stat. His 14th singles match in his career is against Reggie white. His 17th match in his career is against Kevin green. You know, there's an old cliche, the blind leading the blind. The point is, is Reggie white's first match and Steve's 14th. That's a lot to ask of these guys. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And in some respects I can say to you, and I'm being fairly honest here. I think I don't have, but I don't have the records to prove it probably worked from a financial perspective, but it didn't do the brand or the talent more importantly in Steve's case, cause he was going to stay with us. Didn't do the talent any good. Didn't do, it didn't do Steve any good to be, have his, whatever it was, 14th match with Reggie white or his first match, whatever it was that, that was not a good thing for Steve. Cause you gotta know it's going to, at best, you're not going to be embarrassed. That's the best you can hope for. You're not going to be embarrassed. Um, so that's just a bad idea. You know, if that's the only box you can check. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! Somehow we get Mongo and Jarrett to go from a feud to sort of on again, off again, tag team, but they are still having some disputes with this darn briefcase and Deborah. And it's been written about that. This is around the era where Deborah and Steve started to have some problems. And that's not to say, by the way, that this has anything to do with Jeff Jarrett. I don't mean to imply that, but just their marriage and relationship maybe was hitting the skids a little bit. Were you aware of that behind the scenes or did you only find out about that years later? No, I knew that because we were friends with him. could tell all of us, you know, because there was a point in time where, you know, Lori came with me occasionally. Like if we're going, if we had a nitro Minneapolis, for example, Lori would come with, cause we have family there. Right. 
And there were other markets when we go to Florida for tapings. Lori was always with me, Lori and the kids. So the four of us did a lot of things together. As I said, the Sturgis trip, all that stuff. But you could start sensing it, the, dyna- the dynamic. That part was very obvious to me that the dynamic had changed. Just the, hum- the level of humor, the, the fun back and forth between Steve and Deborah versus the almost uncomfortable shots. Not vicious, just ooh. That wasn't, nah, that wasn't funny. You start seeing that and just less eye contact. You know, it's not hard to figure it out. Yeah. Now, I didn't know Steve well enough. Actually, I did, and I feel bad that I didn't ask if I could help in any way because I didn't. But Steve didn't discuss it much with me, uh, much at all, if at all. And Lori didn't have that relationship with Deborah. So, other than what was obvious because of the, just the dynamics between the two that started to kind of evolve, deteriorate, I didn't know what was really going on behind the scenes. But Steve, Steve, it was evident that Steve was affected by it emotionally. He's very unhappy with it. Mongo would defeat Jarrett for the U.S. title at the final Clash of the Champions on August 21st, which coincidentally was also at Municipal Auditorium. Uh, the U S title is a big deal. Obviously it's, uh, for a lot of folks going to become the stepping stone to winning the big belt. We saw that with so many talent through the years. Uh, why does Mongo get the nod here? Uh, just made sense for story. Uh, was it something you thought maybe you could get a little more press and media out of what's the thinking? No, I think the press and media, uh, opportunities have pretty much, you know, I want to say dried up, but you get probably 80% of your media value within the first three or four months of bringing on a talent like Steve McMichael. And then everybody's now it's not news anymore, right? Steve didn't go from the NFL to wrestling. Nothing more to talk about unless he's in a big match. Um, so we had pretty much tapped the PR bucket, uh, for all all that it was worth. I think it was just more of, okay, we want to keep progressing with Steve. What's the next step. Mongo is going to be the, the guy who submits at the now infamous fall brawl from 1997. We're going to cover that in a few weeks, but we see Kurt Henning turn on the horseman and Mongo only winds up holding this U S title for a few weeks. He loses it to Kurt the very next night on nitro. It's not as if wins and losses really affect Mongo. I mean, he just has this innate charisma. He's not your standard wrestler. And Deborah starts to put together a stable of wrestlers, I, I guess, to go after her husband, uh, Jeff Jarrett, Eddie Guerrero, Alex, Wright. Common thread here. They're all good in-ring performers. It starts to feel a little bit like though, I don't know, maybe Mongo sort of lost in the shuffle here. I don't really remember caring too much about this Deborah feud. The horsemen are not really featured that prominently. Did you start to feel like, Hey man, whatever momentum we could have had with this guy was maybe slipping a little bit here. Yeah, definitely. And even as you're describing that, it's like, you can, you just feel the air coming out of the room Yeah, because now, now, now Steve is off on his own, which he was, shouldn't have been, he didn't have the ability to go out there and have even if you surrounded him with a bunch of young talent like that, he, he hadn't built up that part of his credibility yet. Right. And every time he went out and tried to do more than he should have, it took that credibility down even a little, little, little more. 
Um, it was a bad choice. And I'm going to say this again. Apologize in advance to anybody that I'm offending here. And I don't know what I'm about to say is actually a fact. My sense of things was that while I was overseeing creative, it re- reported to me. I wasn't writing the, that particular story on a week-to-week basis, right? My sense was that this was all now as much or more about getting Deborah over as it was getting Steve over. Yeah. And that was the mistake. Agree. However that happened, whether it was Steve maybe accommodating more than he normally would because of what was going on behind the scenes. Sure. Whether it was the whoever was writing or book, you know, or producing agenting for Steve, um, whoever was around him and responsible for him and his story, maybe trying to help Steve accommodate a little bit more than he should have. But in my opinion, it became more about Deborah and less about Steve. And that's why you felt the air leave the room. Well, I want to talk a little bit right now about focus melts. I know that you and I have recently gotten these. Uh, I'm all about them. I know you are too. We're talking about feels. Have you ever been affected by that mid afternoon slump and where maybe you don't really want to go grab another coffee, but you feel like you need it. Have you tried some other energy boosters? Maybe you've struggled with falling asleep after an intense work day with just too much caffeine. Well, feels brand new focus melts are unlike anything you've probably ever seen. Focus melts are fast acting, long lasting and caffeine free tablets that help you say goodbye to procrastination and reclaim your day. People ask me all the time. Hey, Conrad, how do you do 15 podcasts and have this mortgage deal and work on the convention and have a why? Okay. It's a lot. That means I gotta be productive, baby. I need these fast acting tablets that dissolve in moments. They leave me with improved focus and it happens in minutes. Plus they taste great and they can even help reduce your cravings for snacks. So whenever you need a a boost of focus, instead of going to get a second or third cup of coffee, just pop one tablet focus melts are, uh, are powered by, and boy, I'm going to screw this up. Tetracetrine. I don't even know what that is. I screwed it up. Here's what I know. It's naturally occurring compound that gives you the laser focus you expect from caffeine and other stimulants, but without the crash. And I've always been like a diet Coke guy, man, more so than a coffee guy, but this man, I'm, I'm back in action. Baby feels has already helped more than a hundred thousand people take back control and feel better through their premium wellness products, their real human support and their membership program with free delivery straight to your home. But I'm curious, what's your experience been with focus melt so far, Eric? I am that guy that get feels like, and I can tell you with almost within a half an hour, what time of the day it's going to happen almost every day. And it's usually about one 30. I actually have my alarm set at one 30 because if I haven't done something and often it's feels See, told you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I wasn't lying. Um, if I don't, then by two 30 or three, I'm starting to, kind of wind down my day. And oftentimes I've still got calls to make. I've got a project I want to finish. I want something. To, I need something. There's something I need to read to make a decision about. Uh, I can't afford to crash. So that's where feels works so well for me. I don't like to drink coffee after I'm done in the morning. I don't like to drink coffee the rest of the day. 
I don't know why. It's just I don't. Um, and feels works great. And the nice thing is you can carry it within your pocket, keep it in your glove compartment. I've got a little uh, compartment on my Harley. I keep keep some in there. You know, it's easy. Here's the thing, guys. If you've got a big to-do list and you're trying to get a lot accomplished, you probably see that you knock out a lot of that list before lunch, and then you start to, as we say in the South, peter out. Boy, these focus melts, they're going to give you that second wind at the office. You're going to be way more productive. You will see the results. That's why I recommend it. And I want to recommend that you become a member and save 50% off your first order. Think about that. 50% off your first order. It's time to say no to sluggish days and restless nights with feels focus melts. Become a member today. Save 50% off your first order of focus melts and get free shipping by go to feels.com slash 83 weeks and using our code 83 weeks at checkout. Now, as a member, you'll save money on every order and you can easily pause, swap, or cancel at any time. That's F E A L S.com slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks to become a member and start saving today. Say goodbye to procrastination, reclaim your day and start feeling better with feels. Remember, become a member, get 50% off your first order feels.com slash 83 week. Eric, let's talk a little bit more about Mongo and then we'll start to wind this baby up. We get a, uh, a Halloween havoc show where Alex Wright is the mystery opponent for Mongo. Yeah, that's less than ideal. Uh, Mongo takes the loss when Goldberg comes out and hits the spear and the jackhammer on him. Now this is 1997. This is before he's the superstar Goldberg. He's, I don't know, six weeks into the promotion here. Deborah's going to hand Goldberg Mongo's Super Bowl ring. It's obvious that Goldberg is now a hired gun for her. This is the first storyline that Goldberg gets in the whole company. And McMichael is going to make Goldberg look like an animal taking these moves. So even though we've talked about how green Mongo is, he's kind of the veteran in this scenario, which is crazy to think about. And it sets up a singles match with the two of them at world war three. Goldberg fails to show up to that match though. And then we see that Goldberg is laying out in the back. So McMichael has a super bowl ring back. So I guess this is the way to sort of get his come up. And so now Deborah is going to attempt to get back together with Steve. Steve's going to blow her off, get a big baby face pop the next night on nitro. It proves that he's over, but as we march towards Starcade, it's Goldberg and Mongo again. Now, again, even though Mongo's got the crowd with him, we're trying to do something with Goldberg. Mongo's all business. Goldberg gets his hand raised and 98 is kind of a weird year for Steve. He's got a loose affiliation with Benoit and his feud with Raven's flock. He's going to get himself into a program with the British bulldog. Who's returned to WCW after the Montreal screw job. They face off at super brawl, but Mongo breaks his hand during the match. Uh, he is off for a little bit and then comes back in June of 98. And he's for some reason working a lot with Stevie Ray. And the result is less than awesome matches. And around this same time, he and Deborah are officially separated. Of course, they wind up divorce and the four horsemen, as we all recall, got back together in September of 1998. Mongo's there as one of the members, but there's really not that much being done with him. Was he starting to sour on the sport? Was this just, you know, sometimes when we say personal problems, people just assume we're saying that they were a drug addict or an alcoholic. And I don't mean to imply that here, but man, getting into divorce and now being newly single with a pocket full of cash, everybody I've ever talked to said back then the dude had 10 grand on him at any given time. Uh, 
and he liked to party and he liked to hang out with Ric Flair and raise hell. And now he's a TV star traveling again. That's, that's a lot for a guy who's newly single to sort of wrap his head around. Right. Yep. And that was a part of it. That was, that was a big part of it. Steve, Steve was distracted with his personal life and it took, it took a toll on him. Add to that, that there wasn't really a very good plan for him. Um, and there was no real solid firm direction for him. It was kind of plug him and play him where we could and something that we hoped would make sense, but that's not the same thing as a plan. So part of it was the lack of plan for him, a management issue. The other part of it was a personal issue. And the combination of those two things is what really took the wind out of Steve's sails. Well, we know that, uh, he sort of flounders around with the horseman for the next few months, but his final appearance is at a house show, March 8th, 1999. He, Benoit Malenko pick up a win over Barry Windham, Kurt Henning and Rath. What a random group of folks that is as best I can tell. He never wrestled again. And I've heard some stories through the wrestling grapevine that he just left, disappeared and never came back. Like he had had enough of this. Officially, do you recall, was Steve fired? Did he quit? Was his contract never renewed? Do you, re- um, that, that was a tough time for Steve. I'm not going to go too much into it, to be honest with you. I don't feel it's necessary other than to acknowledge what I said previously. And which was, you know, there were, there were two big reasons why Steve lost the wind in his sails. Um, so when it was time for Steve to get away. It wasn't getting away from wrestling. It was getting away from everything. Uh, he needed, he needed to be away and he took his time and I'm guessing because there was no legal issue involved that his contract was either up or soon to be and circumstances being what they were. We just let it take its natural course. Do you think he, it finally clicked for him? Like, Holy shit, man. My wife shit in the pool. And she told everybody about it. Maybe her, you know, it's like, I I have this friend and and his wife that come out. They, well, they come out every year. They didn't come out this year for the 4th of July. His name is Bob Niedercorn. And his wife's name, Tammy. And Bob's got this hilarious story. Like the first time Bob came out to my house and his wife, here in Wyoming, we had on the Fourth of July. We have this big bonfire outside. Right, we sit around and drink beer and whatever. Tell tell stories. Just tell funny stories. That's what we do. And Bob's first, you know, event here with us, kind of becoming part of the family, which he has. He tells a story about a hemorrhoid. And Bob is frugal, by the way. Bob, and he's an extremely wealthy guy. Don't, don't get me wrong. Now I want to say extremely wealthy, but a very successful, he's worked hard all of his life. He was in maintenance and refrigeration at a big company and, but he was worked hard, saved his money. And anyway, uh, but when you meet Bob, you, you wouldn't expect to hear the story from him, but anyway, he's telling a story of how he's 
he had this hemorrhoid, but he doesn't want to go to the doctor because he doesn't like doctors or the bills. So it's just a hemorrhoid. I know, I, I know how to get that thing off. And he t- proceeds to tell the story of how he cut off his own hemorrhoid by himself. Well, he had a little help from his previous wife, which is where it gets really gross and, and disgusting, but also funny in, in a way because he's up there doing it. You know, he's putting his leg up on a stool and spreading his ass cheek with one hand, trying to wrap a rubber band around this fucking hemorrhoid. So when he pulls it off the middle tube, it snaps and cuts the hemorrhoid off. Anyway, I noticed, you know, year after year after year, Bob and his wife, Tammy would come out and every single year we tell this story because there'd be new people that would join our little 4th of July club. And they always wanted to hear the story. Bob was very good at telling it. He was very funny. But after about the third or fourth year, Tammy would get up and go for a walk every time he told that story because she just got sick of hearing it. And I think maybe the turd in the pool story was Steve McMichael's version of what my Bob, my friend Bob and his wife Tammy went through. You just get so fucking sick of hearing that same story again. You just want to get away from it. You just go for a walk. And maybe that's what Steve did. He just went for a walk because he was tired of hearing that story. We're going to put it on Deborah. Your fault, Deborah. Heal. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help. And you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Save with Conrad.com. I, um, I found the contract info. Steve McMichael made uh, $202,488 and 96 from WCW the next year in 97. He was up to two seventy four Oh nine and 98. And he was down a little bit, $261,837. What's interesting though, is They'll slide some merch numbers in there, which always crack me up because this can't ever be right. But apparently his, his dividend for merch in 1998 was $27. And then in 1999, he made $123,757. And somehow he got paid for licensing in 2000, but they told him he owed a dollar for the merch. So if you're to believe this is accurate and it's not, uh, he had uh, $26 earned or through his career in merch. Uh, it does look like he was, uh, let go in May of 1999. Uh, there was a memo put out by Diana Myers, uh, regarding the talent budget summary. This was May 28th, 1999 to Dr. Harvey Schiller. Uh, you were CC'd along with bill Bush, David Payne, uh, and some others. And it's listed here. We added 13 new talent, David Fleer, Emory Hale, 11 trainees, 457,600 bucks. We negotiated increases for three talent, including Jacob Strauss and two non former non-contract talent and Scott James and Steve James. And then we terminated two contracts for $450,000, which is Steve Mongo McMichael and Kevin Wackles, who we know as nails. So they're both let go here officially May 28th, 1999. Uh, but that's it, man. His only other pro wrestling related appearance was a special guest referee for a monsters ball match at bound for glory, 2008. And it felt like he left wrestling in the rearview mirror. 
Uh, I had the good fortune of, uh, of meeting Mongo through Ric Flair's podcast years ago. He was fantastic. Taught me some new phrases. I still use to this day scholarship being one of them. And, uh, we had him at Starcast, the very first one in Chicago, just a fantastic guy. And as you and I are recording this, it's relatively early in the month of August at the very end of the month. Uh, and as we ease on into the first few days of September, about a month from now, you and I are going to be in Chicago again for top guy weekend. And I'm thinking, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Maybe we reach out to our folks at fight. And we put together you and I and Jeff and whoever else is going to be there uh, from our podcast network. We put together some sort of little super show podcast and we let fans tune in to fight and check it out. And I want to see if Fight can help us out with this, Eric, but what if we let fans determine how much they pay, they pick their own price. You want to pay a dollar. Great. You're going to pay a hundred dollars. Great. But no matter what you pay, 100% of the proceeds go to Mongo. What do you think? So here's what I think about that. I love the idea. And I think if we need to make this package a little more attractive to, to fight, because let's face it, this is a business. Everybody's yeah. got costs. Sure. Everybody's got expenses. Not everything that comes through the door gets to go into your bank account. You run a business. You know that better than most. But what if we are able to get, say, I don't know, the quarterback or Chicago Bears back in that day. What if we get Jim McMahon wow. to come up and and have a little Steve McMichael story? What if we could get Dick Butkus? By the way, Steve was instrumental in helping me uh, meet Dick Butkus. I did an interview with Dick in his home. But maybe Dick Butkus would be willing to show up and talk a little bit. How about another guy that I met through... Steve McMichael, Jim Belushi got to hang out with Jim Belushi at his home, California a while back, quite a while back, but maybe we can get a guy like Jim Belushi to help join our little party and turn this thing into much more than just a fundraiser. Let's turn this into an event. That's a fundraiser. Let's turn this into something that people are going to want to save and have in their archives. I'm all about it, brother. Well, let's work on that. I, uh, I want to try to support Mongo. I think everybody listening to this knows he's suffering with uh, ALS. And, uh, as you can imagine, that's, that's a pretty costly proposition and it's put a lot of stress financially, emotionally, physically, just every form. And if we can tell some stupid old wrestling stories and make some people laugh and raise some money for a good guy, feels like a good idea. So stay tuned. I Eric. can't wait. Now it's a mission before it was a. It was a show I was looking forward to. Now it's a freaking mission. Let's come up with something, man. Let's do something cool for Mongo. Let's do a few questions and then we'll wrap things up. I do want to mention before we get out of here that, man, we're saving people money left and right right now over at SaveWithConrad.com. Uh, you've probably noticed that there's a lot of speculation about what's going on in our economy. A lot of folks are uneasy. A lot of folks contend we're getting ready for a recession. And a lot of folks have more month at the end of the money. But well, let me remind you all of a sudden in the last couple of years, your house is worth more than ever. And you've got all this newfound equity. And I suggest that you tap into that because a, it's going to make life a whole heck of a lot simpler and B it's just smarter. Let me explain why as these interest rates continue to rise, it's not just mortgages that are affected. It's your credit cards, your car loans, everything else is getting a little more expensive. Your dollar doesn't go quite as far as it used to. 
So if you've seen these costs go up, but your income hasn't gone up, well, you may find yourself living on those credit cards more than you used to. Now you don't want to get stuck making the minimum payments. It's going to wreck your credit score, but more importantly than that, uh, it's going to put a lot of stress on you. You're going to be paying what? 18, 28, 31%. I saw a credit card last week where the folks were paying 31% interest. You know, that's too doggone high. And I know it's easy, but guys, we make saving money easy at savewithconrad.com. Go check it out for yourself. And listen, I know there's some boo birds out there. Go read the reviews, folks. Conradreviews.com. What you'll see is we have thousands of reviews, an average score of 4.72. Look us up with the BBB. We've got an A plus rating. We know how to take care of you. We're licensed in more than 40 states. And here's some of the reviews here. Everyone was easy to work with. They helped us understand what was happening. It was uh, extremely patient and kind. That's from John in San Antonio. Here's uh, Steve in Somerville. It was a great service. Here's Eric in Williamsport. Very easy to work with. Very patient. Here's Rose in Elkmont. Timely response. Here's one from Holly Pond. Carlos went the extra mile to make sure my loan was approved and communicated with me every step of the way. He went out of his way to make sure I got the payment I wanted as quickly as possible. Carlos was always professional without being overbearing. It was a pleasure to work with him for my refinance. Would definitely do so again if I needed him in the future. I didn't just pick those. Those are the five most recent ones. There's thousands of those. Go check them out. Here's the reality. If you've got credit card debt, if you've got a second mortgage, if maybe there's something you've always wanted to do your house, but didn't have the time or the cash. Now's the time you have all this newfound equity. And if you have this debt, it's up to you how you pay it back. Don't you want the best rate and the greatest tax deduction? Cause I didn't even mention that the interest you pay on your credit cards or your car loans, buddy, you're just pissing that away. Not only is it a higher rate, you can't write it off. You can write off your mortgage interest. So if it's a better rate plus a tax deduction, man, that's win-win. And how's this for starters? No payments for two months. That's right. Skip your September payment, skip your October payment. You're done until November and come November and you're going to have a better monthly payment. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. It's no cost, no obligation at savewithconrad.com. And if we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. And here's the other thing. If you had some late payments before you're okay. Maybe you filed bankruptcy a few years ago. You're okay. We can change your life. And even if we can't get you approved right now, we don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how we're going to get you a plan to make it happen. And, uh, I'm excited to help you out. So give me the opportunity. I'm telling you, you're going to love working with my family at first family. It's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four savewithconrad.com. Here's the worst case scenario. Guys, you spend 10 minutes with us and we say, you know what, dude, you got a pretty good deal. Keep doing what you've been doing, but we're going to give you that peace of mind. We're going to save you some cash. Uh, Mitchell Barnett wants to know, Hey, Eric, what did you see as the ceiling for Mongo as an in-ring performer? Could you have ever seen him making a run as WCW champ? No. And it's not that I made the decision at any point that there's no way he'll ever be a WCW champ. It's just, I, I never see ceilings. You know, you find them <laughs> intentionally or unintentionally sometimes, but I've never looked at anybody and said, oh, they're only ever going to be this, or they're always going to be that. I, no, I didn't look at it that way, man. Uh, Derek wants to know, it's been stated that Steve was not traditionally trained to be a pro wrestler. Did talent ever come to you with safety concerns when it came to wrestling Mongo? No. Um, I don't think any one of the talents that I worked with would have been the type of person to come to me and complain about 
somebody else being unsafe. Now they may complain within the locker room. They may have a conversation with a couple of the people around Steve about that, but to come to, to come to the boss and say, that guy's unsafe. I don't feel comfortable working with him. That's, you know, on the wrestling list of sins, that's kind of a bad one. Well, this question from Matt takes on a whole new meaning. Do you have any funny stories of Pepe like pooping all over the set? No, I don't think just Deborah doing that. Pepe right. Pretty much had control of his balls. Mama didn't, uh, Dion wants to know, Eric, what was Mongo's deal with having something in his hands? For example, he always had a dog and then a briefcase. I never really thought about that. Was he Ricky Bobby? Did he, was he not sure what to do with his hands? Eric? I don't know. That's I've never a, I didn't notice that that was the case and I've never heard anything like that. So I don't know. I have, I have to ponder on that Conrad. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about your run in uh, the WWE in 2004. And of course we said we were going to do that a few weeks ago, but then all the Vince McMahon stuff happened. He had to go out and retire. So I felt like we had to talk about that, but I did want to, you know, while I got you here, pin you down, because you said a couple of weeks ago when you and I recorded, Hey, you know what? One day you and I are going to break down the docuseries for Ric Flair's last match. Are we going to do that at adfreeshows.com? Cause I can't wait for you to tell me what sucked about it. Hell yeah. Let's do, when, how soon? Uh, I mean, I'd say we try to do it this week or next. How's that sound? Uh, sooner, the better fresh in my mind. You know how I am. You give me another week or 10 days. I'm going to go, fuck. I don't remember that. I Did love you guys actually that. do a part two. So yeah, get me while I get me, get me while you can. We're going to figure it out. Boys and girls. We hope you will figure it out. We love talking to you here each and every week at 83 weeks. Can't thank you enough for the support. We hope you'll consider checking out adfreeshows.com. We've got a lot of great content popping up there that you can't find anywhere else. Of course, you get all these shows early and ad free, but you get these interactive experiences where you get to watch old wrestling with Arn Anderson or break something down with road dog or William Regal, or, I mean, every single month, Eric is doing a lot of really cool stuff over there. I'm sure you've all heard about Eric fires back and whatnot, but boy, your boy, Tom has tried something new at adfreeshows.com. Explain what's going on there. Yeah. Tom is uh, Tom's a business partner of mine and I've known Tom. Um, gosh, I don't know. It's been now three years, I think maybe longer. And we've been working on a project together for about a year and a half. And in the, in the course of, of getting to know Tom and having conversations with him and learning his background, he graduated from Harvard uh, in English, he's, he specialized in, um, literature and is in a phenomenal storyteller. First of all, he's in a, he's a walking, talking wrestling encyclopedia. He can tell you more about storylines. So he may be able not to be able to tell you about finishes and matches and things like that. But in terms of story, and this is why I love working with Tom. Um, he can break down story in a way that nobody else I have wrestling story. Now, not just stories in general, I'm talking about wrestling stories. He can break down wrestling stories and characters in a way that I've not heard anywhere before. He's so good at it. And you know, he, he ended up going to 
to Harvard and studying English and literature. He wrote a book on Shakespeare's characters that won a Harvard award. He's just a fun. He's, he he does documentaries. He's, he's got a, he's actually designed a board game for upper deck. He's the only at the time, I guess, I don't know. I don't keep up with it anymore or on a daily basis, but he's the only guy that upper deck ever published a game with, that wasn't a part of their staff. They don't take games from the outside and publish it. They only do their, all, all their stuff's in-house. Tom was the exception of that. Quest for the Anecdote, actually, is the name of the game. Anyway, very successful guy. But I did a couple of interviews with him because I, I found I him to be so fascinating. I thought other people on the ad-free shows would too, right? So we've done a couple of things together, breaking down wrestling stories. And uh, I had a, conference call with your team one day and I said, Hey, maybe Tom would be a guy to, to do some more things with. And I kind of set him and uh, Dominic D'Angelo up and off it's going. I can't recommend it highly enough, man. If you want, because here on 83 weeks, as well as, you know, every shows, I think it's important that we enlighten our audience, make them, but by that, I mean, appreciate the art of this thing we call professional wrestling understand more about the business of this thing we call professional wrestling. That's my mission. And, and Tom can take that to an entirely different level. And if you really want to understand and see the potential in this thing, we love called professional wrestling, listen to a guy like Tom, because he can give you not only more knowledge and information, but more appreciation as well. And you'll walk away a smarter person, sit down, listen to Tom, you know, listen to that show and you walk away knowing that you're a smarter person when you're done than you were when you, when you showed up, check it out, boys and girls, it's adfreeshows.com, And we'll be back next week. Talking all things, Eric Bischoff and WWE circa 2004, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.